When we don't have rosters, but you do have sandwiches. <laughs> That's so MLS. A North American po- soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Vates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. No sixty-five Nick, how are you sandwiches doing? here. That's for sure. Oh my god! Woo! Open the... it up! Open it up! What could go wrong? <laughs> we uh, we have this been, MLS's um... back tournament is brought to you by the Fire Festival. Oh my god! Yes, the MLS is back. Uh, I feel like I I don't know who is or can be on the scene to like be getting footage of all of these players like hanging out in Orlando for a week. Um, but the MLS is back tournament. Some of the players are arriving. Some of them are getting COVID in in Orlando. Yeah. Um, which like yeah. who would have we... thunk? Also, hit a Orlando hit a or Florida hit a new record today with ten thousand new cases today. That's everybody's that good awful. at something. That really sucks. Yeah. Like, like I'm. It's in a broader in a broader sense. It's really hard to see where things are going in in states like that with the pandemic. Um, in our specific level. The, the thing I said to you was that, like, you know, we, we were on here last week being like, this might not happen. And at the time, you know, I was saying, oh, well, I'm sorry that we're all out here so negative. Um, but we may have been, like, that may have been, like, generous. Yeah, I mean, there's there's still some time to go. But what we know about the lag time on COVID would seem to suggest things are going to get worse before they get better. And they're so bad that in the course of, like, what are we, we're, what, six days out, uh, like, if even if there's a dip and it's like, oh, we only had 8,000 new cases today, that still spells disaster for things. So I think we've kind of gone from, like, a should this happen to will this happen to, like, sort of an incredulous, this just really shouldn't happen yeah, and I mean, like, like pick, I, I want to clarify. I want to clarify that if we sometimes laugh about this, it's not because it's funny; it's because it's laughable that this is kind of happening. Like, we we had the 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 podcast go up, and the same day it was announced that um, the situation the got Orlando worse. Pride, at, the situation got worse as we were recording. <laughs> like, seriously, that's the, how bad it is. The Orlando Pride had to drop out of the NWSL tournament, yeah, um, because uh, six people, which I believe was four players, two staff, or six players, two staff, um, tested positive after it had been reported that some of the teammates uh, were supposed to be self isolating, went to the bar, and so um, and so you're not supposed to be going to the bar as a professional athlete about to enter a bubble in Orlando. In Orlando, got it. Noted. <laughs> now, now I've I've been a little easy on NWSL because they are going to Utah, which has like 500 cases a day. They're in the which literally up in the sky. It's fine. Yes, uh, but you know the the players were still coming for Orlando, and at, at the time people were saying, "Well, you know, how are people going to come in?" Um, and you now have heard uh, that Dallas had six players test positive for COVID since they've arrived in Orlando. Right, and I think Columbus might have had a player test positive last I saw. I guess, like, if you pulled 
the pride over that number. There's not that many people in a soccer team. And the thing is, is that it's like... Well, with five substitutes. I don't... I know that there are the stories, you know, the the, the circulated story about the, the academy kids in Russia or whatever else, but I think that they're, the competitive concerns really wane or, or, like, really start to come to the fore. Like, this is maybe something that I've been thinking about all, all of the restarted sports that I've seen, but it's like, this is not... This is... There's no way that they can stage this tournament with people dropping out left and right and be like, this is the best version of our product. And so, is this going to be for funsies? Or is this... Which, I mean, like, there's a... There's a there's a benefit, I guess, to educating the public, but it, I feel like our... The way that we view sports, like, I don't know that we can... That we have a language yet to, like, accept that, like, we... That this, that, that this isn't... That players aren't going to be able to strive for excellence because the situation has made it impossible before they even begin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I agree. And, I mean, there's a point where I think doing anything anywhere, there's always going to be people weighing like a certain amount of risk the fact that any of us are out doing anything anywhere in the world right now is us taking on a certain amount of risk but you would hope a professional organization like mls would be able to weigh the pros and cons of that and really think about if coming back is the right thing to do um and it for me it always seemed like the pathway to coming back would have to mean that things were improving not getting drastically worse and at the point where the decision was made things were still getting worse they weren't as bad as they are now but they certainly weren't getting better and I think it goes to show what happens when you have a disjointed public health messaging across a country where some people just feel like it's over and we can move on and start up again um, while things continue to rise elsewhere they definitely do have to go into, you know, into retreat. Um, the the players that are there now, you know, you've been, the the line about the sandwiches comes from Omar Gonzalez had posted uh, the idea of their lunch options, which was like it's not clear from the photo who's paying for it, but it's like there was different options for what player what you know, was available to purchase on the menu. And it was like $65, a $65 course of sandwiches, maybe over the course of a week. Maybe, maybe, maybe that must be what it is. Cause it didn't look like the greatest sandwiches in the history of time. No, I feel like, I mean, for folks wanting to follow along some of this, there's a, a Twitter account called MLS COVID cup. It's followed by mostly MLS players and like MLS Twitter folks. So if, if you're wanting to see some of the pictures and videos that are allegedly coming from the MLS bubble, um, the, I feel like it's a player running this account. <laughs> see, this is my, this was actually my question. And, I'm, and um, we can, we have to sprinkle a bunch of allegedly's in. I mean, there's no, no particular explosive allegations handed up with it yet. So I'll, I'll ask you in the interest of, of the entertainment that this could provide, do you think that it's real? I think that like, 
the sandwich thing seems real. Um, considering there's also a photo of like the menu with like MLS's back on it, and there's enough players liking it and circulating it that it leads me to believe that this is something that's actually going on. Um, I feel like this could very easily also be like a Twitter account, and there's lots of other things circulating where people are just kind of taking the piss a little bit from MLS and just taking videos of whatever and posting them about the the bubble, so to speak, and, and life going on there. But it, I, I would say this. If it's fake, there's certainly a lot of MLS players following it, liking it, and retweeting various things that are going on. Um, so unless it's just one, one big joke, uh, I feel like there's been numerous coaches that have acknowledged a lot of players had hesitations about coming to this tournament. Um, and there's enough, and a lot of players have been quite vocal about it as well, that this tournament shouldn't be going on. So that doesn't mean that all of these things are necessarily real. I just think it's interesting that um, it, it's these stories have gotten so much traction with MLS players, and I haven't yet seen an MLS player that stepped in and been like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> Things aren't so bad. The um, I think that one thing that MLS will definitely be measured against, and it's not its fault, All this idea to do a bubble tournament, I think is only exacerbated by the fact that the NBA also chose to copy the idea, except... The, their version of the hotel bubble is going to be so much more expensive and lavish. And, like, the MLS can't... MLS can't help that. No. And, and anyway, to me, it kind of, like, it's like an MLS throwback, like, to the good old days of MLS where people are getting changed. <laughs> I mean, this happened as little as two years ago. What was the team that was playing on, like, a practice pitch from, like, a youth club? And they had to change in, like, the the same place as all the vending machines. I feel like that's a thing that happened. Anyway. Uh, it might have been Cincinnati while they were waiting for their stadium to open. But no, they had enough, they were they had their USL stadium to plan. Anyway, so I'm sure we've some, got more some MLS, me on this. We've got more MLS bits for you later, but until then, like we Let's talk about some soccer that's now. actually happening. <laughs> Professional sports is being played in North America. The year is twenty twenty. And the only remaining team sport to be played is the National Women's Soccer League. Um, they have the... Uh, I, th I think that it should be the the key focus because of sports in general. Because it's, you know, like... I think that a lot of people have had these issues when they look at, like, you know, Yahoo.com or something like that. It's just, like, focus on the games that are happening. And... Um, we have had now, I think, about six Challenge Cup uh, games in the NWSL Challenge Cup. Um, lots of interesting, um, like, storylines playing out over the course of those. Uh, and lots of great goals. Well, we have eight. We have, uh, or wait. I think it's six. Oh, I was right. Six. Yes. Three, three, three match days, which... Wait, no, which, six. Which... <laughs> Which are like, uh, which are like these interesting, like marathon, uh, in Atlantic time, like one thirty and ten, one thirty and eleven thirty starts. Yeah. You um, you had on the the twenty seventh. You had uh to start 
North Carolina versus Portland, mm-hmm. um, which was itself a, a, a rematch of two of the last three uh, NWSL championship finals. Um, of course, Courage were the, the defending champions, and, and they really uh, this was a this was an interesting this was an interesting contest in that um, I think that they had the the balance of possession the whole time, but they were, uh, it was that late stoppage time winner, um, that gave them the edge, but, but Portland kind of like was able to hang on and, and certainly with the opening goal, um, or sorry, uh, what do I have here for that? What's well, it's um, 74 minutes basically of North Carolina just knocking at the door. I mean, Portland, I think might've had yes. one or two, kind of half chances, but I stopped counting after the eighth chance that North Carolina had. Um, And then it's, I think it's around the the 74th minute where they they finally break the deadlock and score. Um, And then almost immediately after that, as these things go, Portland is able to draw things level. And then deep into stoppage time, North Carolina gets that winning goal, which... I mean, for me, the interesting thing is that you spend the better part of 90 minutes defending, 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 and having North Carolina take shot after shot after shot. And I thought Portland did a pretty good job overall of closing them down. And then you just have your striker completely unmarked in the box with three defenders Uh. behind her. And I just (laughs) have, like, an all-caps comment of, like... I mean, there's always going to be a striker unmarked in the box at some point in a game. That's That happens. But, I mean, if you're a defender and you you know there's a cross coming into the box, the possession's so far out on the right wing, and you're a defender near the striker, you have to be goal side. The fact that they're all standing behind the striker watching, I was just like, what? why did you just play that whole game and defend like that to basically watch somebody take that from you? Of course, it's much uh, more complicated than that, but felt a little it, frustrating from, from if you're a Portland fan to be to fan to be like, this could have been a draw quite easily. You just needed a body in front of that cross to block it. Especially because if you, it was a very similar movement to the 75th minute goal by Dabinia, which was the, the ball in from wide from the rookie Haley Mace. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Portland goal, I don't, the Portland goal was more of a, a, a ricochet by Simone Charlie off the crossbar. But a lot of, it really felt like a lot of North Carolina stuff was, was based on that. So it's like Lynn Williams, who is the scorer on the 94th minute. It's like, it's, she is so dangerous. You have to, you're absolutely right. You have to mark her. Yeah, and I mean, she's obviously a tall physical presence, and she's always going to take a chance like that. But again, if you're a center back, you just need to get in front of her and at least make it a challenge, like make her jump for it, (laughs) rather than just watch her bring down the ball and then score it. One of the things that you're seeing here, um, I think in a lot of these games, has been the... There's there's no shortage of will on behalf of the players to go hard, despite the fact that they are rusty, right? They don't necessarily look sluggish, but it is seemed in a number of games 
that the the lack of of you know game uh, fitness because nobody has been able to play yeah. um, has just sort of like a payback after that that mm-hmm. if you that if a team you know and I I I kind of wonder if this is a, this was a deal with with Portland where you know the the stamina just ran out and both teams were obviously it felt like swinging to try and make something happen. Um, I mean, it's been exciting to watch like this much end to end football for sure, where things are, mm-hmm. are pretty wide open. I like, I want to stay with NWSL, but do you think that this is kind of a bit of foreshadowing for what MLS is back will look like if it indeed happens where you see what you mentioned about the game fitness part where it's, it's not like players have been staying fit for sure, but that, you know, just lack of familiarity with the tactical awareness because nobody's really played as a team for four months if that's going to come into play as well. Well, I wonder if the difference, like, because you see, like, sort of a lack of sharpness in, like, the Bundesliga and a little bit of the Premier League. And in NWSL, I think you have also seen, in in all leagues that have come back, you've seen things be a little bit more chaotic. Yeah. Um, Because of that. I do like there was a line and it's a it's sort of a it's an unbacked up line right but one of the lines that you hear people say out of this MLS uh training right somebody was like I'm the I'm the least fit that I've ever been in my career some of the MLS players are saying right. and NWSL reporters are saying that these players are the most fit yeah. that they've ever been that they have been the line I'm trying to find the Twitter but somebody said that that a unnamed NWSL coach said that the men's players were playing video games this whole time and the women's players were on the treadmill. And I don't know that that is that's an inflammatory thing to say. We can't confirm but... or deny, but I will say after <laughs> seeing all of the matches, um, well, the highlights of the matches, like the fitness is there. The physical fitness of the players where there's uh, a, like sluggishness as you say is is more to do with game management and some you know like positional awareness but in terms of they don't lack for pace or for um i would say like even just some of the technical execution i mean we saw a lot of really perfect through balls um long diagonal balls so you know it's clear the practice has been happening um and i'm impressed that it's come together in the way that it has because I feel like the overall there's been mostly complete team performances and where there's weaknesses, they're either things that were the case before, like with the Chicago red stars, um, mm-hmm. or it's something where you'd go like, well, yeah, if you haven't played together after this amount of time, you'd be a little bit rusty in terms of getting your back line sorted out as well. Um, like it's, it's all forgivable things. That point that you make about the Red Stars, I mean, I think that that is something that we've we've seen. Um, I guess the story of them in 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 their first two games, uh, they they lost in the in the opening day to the Washington Spirit. One of the big, I guess, talking points of that first day was that, um, in recognition of not just the pandemic but also you know protests for racial justice in the United States and around the world. Um, and the Black Lives Matter movement was uh, has been a big part of the NWSL 
presentation. And the in the opening game, both all the players from North Carolina and Portland um, kneeled for the anthem, and they put out a joint statement mm-hmm. um, explaining why they did that, and they tried to all move sort of together. Um, now, Chicago, Washington, that didn't all happen. Some players stood, some players didn't. Um, Chicago's Casey Short got very emotional, um, and the those images really stuck out. In what people, you know, focused on was her pain, but also, you know, the fact that there was another teammate. Julie Ertz is down and consoling her, and there's another teammate to the side who is standing up. And not all, uh, not all the Red Stars people stood, or you know, did kneel, and, and people were focusing on whether or what that. What impact that could have had emotionally, um, and and Rory Dames, the Chicago coach, said that he, they, he thought that they were not necessarily together emotionally. People have since you know wondered why they don't cancel the anthem. Um, the Meg Linehan of the Athletic has reported that um, the players don't really want it canceled because they want to have the opportunity to kneel. So I guess the new thing is that you don't have to be out there if you don't want to. Right. You can, you can stay back in the locker room. I, from what I have observed in future in, in games that have happened after that, um, players and coaches have essentially kneeled or not. And, and the, 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 the blowback from that has been a little less. What has what has been your take on this uh, on this discussion? I think overall, I I feel a little bit like as good as it is to see professional athletes bringing much needed awareness to this. It, to me, I can't help but just feel quite sore about how this is all being adopted now but to think about um Kaepernick being blackballed or blacklisted for this whole time and just the the shit that him and other athletes have been through in um in in kneeling and being very open about what's going on in America to now a league tr- like sort of I mean, I think NWSL as a league, their approach of of trying to really allow players to make their own choices is probably the correct one because um, I I think that ultimately you should be allowing expression rather than mandating it because too often leagues get it wrong um, and Mm -hmm. say, well, we're mandating that nobody gets to do anything or everybody must do this rather than saying like you decide what it is and what the correct expression is um i i think ultimately it's it's hard not to just think about what it would be like to be a a player um and a person of color on a team and have some of your teammates standing and and question are they with me um and what does it mean to be a member of a team if as a team you know everybody's making their own decisions about whether or not to stand for the anthem but i mean i'm sure there's some players that stand that feel very strongly about black lives matter and i'm sure there's some that are kneeling that don't feel that strongly but um i i just imagine it's 
it's got to be a very difficult and tense situation on teams where there's not a unified approach to it. Um, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree that the, the unified approach is hard to get. Um, the Red Stars owner went on Twitter to say that she can't stand people getting dragged for their decision, which has to be their own decision. And I kind of understand that, but I, my, my, my gut feeling is, is that especially in, under the current regime, right, is that you would ideally want to have a scenario where it should be the opposite way in terms of opt-in, which is like if nobody can, if you can't unanimously have everybody comfortable with going out there to, 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 to go out there for the anthem, then you just don't do it. You know what I mean? But but some more stuff has come out with with the fact that players, you know that players want to do it. They don't want it canceled. You know, I just, and it's, that's something that you have to listen to. And it is their moment to protest as well, right? Like it's you, their moment to yeah. visually protest in a, at a time where you have um, cameras trained on you. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, and I, I don't the, say that to be to equivocate. I think it's pretty clear where you and I stand on these matters. But again, I'm I'm not in the position of running a league or mandating what other people should do. I think that ultimately people should do the right thing. But um, again, that's something that I, I feel like could be handled within each club. I think that that you one of the things that I think of when you mention like the the callback to how long it's been since Kaepernick is is that it's good that the NWSL is doing this, but it's almost behind the time where Anthrotalk is relevant. There is a, a a a tweet that I saw going around at the time. It was uh, by the Twitter account app Faux Knows All F U F A U X. It says Anthrotalk at this point is by white for white. I'm bored. How are you? Who are you hiring? Who has power? Who's getting paid? What's your connection to the community? How are you using your political leverage? What actions are you taking to make a more equitable world for black people? And then in another tweet, if your organization doesn't know the difference between gesture and action, learn and move accordingly or stay out of it. It's tired. Mm -hmm. I think that what I take from that is that is the is is interesting as it is to to sort of, you know, as much as this feels the, the the conversation is important, it's now sort of like a recessed part of a much more conversation, a, a much more important conversation in the energies. It, Which is, I'm hearing the voices the that are suggesting for police to stop focus. killing black people. Not yeah. <laughs> like you're absolutely th- right. That's and I think reason, this happened. The whole reason this this started, and so I've I've seen a number of people saying like, you know, it's great that people are supporting black businesses and black artists and there's all this attention but if you're not calling for defunding police and actually aiming to do something about police brutality which is the thing that's killing black people in america then there is an off it is gesturing right like and and it's it's not that uh it's gonna like obviously there's a cultural shift that needs to happen as well but if it, this is to me it sort of smacks a bit of like how things like pride get co-opted and become a corporate signal virtuing moment to say to the fan base like hey we're just like you and like we care about this thing 
um, and forget what the actual like that this is a protest that this is something that is meant to cause discomfort and it's meant to initiate difficult conversations um, and it's very easy to then turn that into we all have to move to- forward together and unity and respect and let's all join the conversation <laughs> like it's just sure fine but can we also not add back the specific reason why this is happening yes and and i, I, I mean that. obviously players protesting that have have not lost sight of that that's why they're doing this um I am I, I think that the, the player led part is really important and hopefully a part of, of, of how things have evolved as that's gone on. Um that game itself was another good one, another two one uh for Washington. Uh Rose Lavella's looking great. Yeah, Washington really came out flying in this one too. I was from very early on it was like, Okay, I can see what their <laughs> game plan is. Grab the early goal. Uh which I mean uh, the, their first goal, I felt like, was a pretty easy one. And we've talked about this before, but Chicago's issue in defense just continues that this is just a complete failure to clear the ball out of the area. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. Chicago rallied a little bit in this one. They showed some fight. Yep. You had after after the the... After the interval, Ashley had to score for Washington to make it two one, and then Morgan Bryant got that goal back to try and uh, to try and push. But eventually, the uh, um, Washington came away with the three points to start uh, in the preliminary round. The, the next game have, on Tuesday one quick, was like one of them. Yes, I just have one real quick note about that game, which is completely insignificant, but I feel like it's important to me, which is. I, I didn't yes. get the players' names, but there's just a player's going in and gets bowled over with a shoulder barge in the box, and there's not even a discussion of whether or not it should be a penalty. They just play on, and I'm like, oh, I love it. <laughs> it's just a little shoulder barge. That should be allowed. Anyway, continue. The uh, I think that the best game so far and one of the most entertaining to watch was the first game on Tuesday between Houston Dash, Utah Royals, um, so much going back and forth in this one. Uh, Canada's Diane Matheson opens the score. I was going to say, I'm sure this is not your favorite game just because of Diane Matheson opening the score. <laughs> who apparently who, who didn't play last year, so this was her big uh, this was her big return. Um, she definitely got the end on got on the end of a great cross from Amy Rodriguez um, to knock it home in the 35th minute for Utah. Then you had this. Um, where you had uh, Utah score twice, or sorry, uh, Houston scored. Rachel Ann da- uh, Daly scored uh, twice in two minutes with halftime in between it. It was like in stoppage time and then also in the second minute of the second half. So it was like, uh, you know, every time somebody scores in first half stoppage time, it's like, oh, the the... The cliche is to be like, oh, it's so terrible. What's going to, you know, it's going to totally change teams' preparation. And then you score very early on, and it's like, ah, that will also completely uh, crater whatever preparation they did have. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it was such an exciting game. Um, it's a daily's got the, the brace in this one. And just... Ah, just a good open soccer game, which to me is like that's what that's what Houston we all goes wanted, up really, you know, three nothing like, with a goal in the sixty seventh, uh, and then Utah comes back with two more to tie it up three three. Um, and the the final goal was scored uh, by Sierra King, who is all, one of many I think rookies that have or or, or newcomers. That I've noticed, you know, there are there have been players that yeah. have not been able to make it for this tournament. Um, and then you have this, uh, but you have a bunch of new names, both in terms of draftees and, and people who have come in in, in from different leagues. Um, and you have some new names really, uh, that are really showing up and, and proving to be favorites early on. Like the Portland keeper in that first game was a, was a rookie as well. Um, because Adriana French, French has an injury. Um, right. So, I found mm-hmm. I found that to be really interesting. Um, Ol Rain and Sky Blue FC in Thorns and Red Stars uh, both played to scoreless draws. I, of course, was very happy for the opportunity to see Canada's greatest Prime Minister Christine Sinclair on Canada Today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, both of the, both of those games had, had not too much in them, unfortunately. That those were the ones that kind of looked like uh, it's it wasn't for lack of chances, but just about every shot went over or wide, and and you sort of felt like that was a bit of both t- all teams shaking off the rust a little bit. Um, yeah, I was gonna say it was all the Portland Chicago match. It was like all Portland in the second half, and you just felt like. They had to score, but they could not buy a goal, um, and so things stayed level there. Um, the last match was um, North Carolina Courage and Washington Spirit, um, and Courage really, maybe not surprisingly, looking like kind of the the early contender in this tournament. Uh, the, I mean, both teams started quite strong. I was gonna the two teams in their other games that started the strongest. I was gonna say was Washington and the Courage. So uh, it's not surprising that it looked like both teams were trying to get that first goal as early as possible. Um, and both teams exchanging chances throughout much of this. Yeah, game. it's it's interesting to see what's gonna happen. You know. Um... I don't know if this this is the 2020 season. I don't know if it counts as the championship, and you're going to see North Carolina repeat. But but this does seem to be the type of tournament where it is. Does anybody have the ability um, to devise a game plan that is going to stop North Carolina? And in an interesting part of the 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 way that this is all going to get set is that everybody is going to get a chance to see any everybody before teams start getting. Um, eliminated. So, so everybody does kind of have a little chance to see what everybody is bringing to the table, and and I wonder. I guess it will be up to to see. Uh, can anybody stop them in the preliminary round, or like you know, it, are those experiences, especially for a team like Washington that's been doing quite well, um, can those be used to devise sort of a better battle plan um, heading into the knockout rounds? Yeah. Absolutely. It's been it's been a good tournament so far. I I it fits really well into the shape of 
shape of my days with the uh, with my work shifts and uh and and also with the timing so you know if I work late I can get off late and then there's a soccer game with our waiting for me so I don't mind that um and it's just been you know the the it's great to see soccer back some of those goals were really great in the the first daily goal you know she she pops it up with her she takes a, a a skipping pass and pops it up and and half volleys to herself and the um, the third goal I think there was in the Tuesday game was so good and it's yeah. just like ah yes I I I really like I like this thing I like watching this thing on television it's I, good I do like this thing well even Matheson's goal I I wrote like. You're probably not going to score an easier goal or make it look so easy in your career, but <laughs> also speaks to like having that level of execution at at this stage, especially considering uh, this is kind of her return to things. I mean, we know what she's capable of, but mm-hmm. th- that's what you're capable of and actually doing it are two very different things, as we know. One here's one concern that I have about the tournament, and in this. Similar to my point about MLS and NBA, you can only plan so much to try and make these things safe. It's that the the news has come out that so they're playing all the preliminary games at Zion's Bank Stadium, and then the semifinal and final stage will be played at Rio Tinto Stadium, which is the the RSL home ground. Mm-hmm. Um, they've announced that the USL team that plays in the organization, the Real Monarchs is going to try and have a spectator game yeah. in Rio Tinto Stadium before the semifinals. And somebody said that they're going to try and the, the, the team owners are hopeful that they could get fans in for the NWSL final stages. I feel like for some people, it's going to take like literal fans dropping dead in a live broadcast to finally hit home that maybe this is just not a good time to do a sports um as much as i'm enjoying watching soccer and i get the idea of having like a bubble city i mean you have to have full support from the top down in order to make that happen um which is part of the reason why it just seems like complete madness to me to pick a place like orlando where it's just the wild west like there's no way of actually creating a bubble and preventing infection as we're currently seeing and there are real stakes there like 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 it's it it, it you can look at it and be like this is so silly from a planning perspective whether you consider this but but even though we don't really know the names of those players who got it you know those players are at risk their teammates are at risk the people who 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 came into contact with them are at risk. I sincerely hope that they are all going to be okay. And it is, it's not just, it's not just like any other issue that we talk about when we talk about a sporting organization and whether or not it's being run or well or poorly. It's exactly like you put it with the fans in the stands. It's people's lives are at stake. Well, and if you're doing contact tracing properly, if it's a team member and, you know, assuming they've all trained together at least once, None of the teams should be playing. No. I mean, like, I, I get that, you know, they're doing tests and things like that, but you're still, you're basically saying, like, okay, well, we're just going to send all the people who were exposed to coronavirus, not all the people that tested positive. 
And at this stage, too, where you're like, this is still a young virus that we don't know that much about. Um, I was just looking to try to get a little bit more information about the Dallas situation and stumbled across J.J. Adams saying, The Athletic is reporting Dallas plans on fully participating in the tournament, even though they may have only as few as 16 players available. Um, and that then pe- sucks. Apparently also Vancouver has not yet left for the tournament. I was wondering about, about that because I hadn't seen much from their social media saying what they were doing. And Axel Schuster saying, uh, if you were to ask me, are you hundred percent sure you're going to play next week? I would say no, but within the next two weeks, yes. So the part of the reason it sounds like they haven't left yet is they're waiting to see potential schedule changes as some teams are let's face it, probably going to have to drop out of the tournament. Which is like, at the point where your team has too many players that have tested positive for COVID-19 and you don't have a full squad, call me crazy, but I, I say that's time to pack it in and say, you know what, we're out. We'll see you we'll in 2021. I definitely agree with that. I think that... that like, the idea of doing a tournament like this, if you are sitting on your own couch and thinking about it, I think that this is one of the... And, and, and I think this is a root of, of one of the, the negatives of planning in any industry, in any part of the world when it comes to the pandemic. Is that if you don't have it, you can think, oh, well, I'm never going to get it. And my friends are never going to get it. So it'll be fine. Um, and, and, and you could draw this whole... This, you draw this all your plans up with the idea that you're going to stay fine and everybody is going to stay fine and and I don't I can't say that there's no plan because I don't know what they what they do have planned in a situation like this but it just doesn't seem optimal you know what I mean like like you like <laughs> it comes back to what we were talking <laughs> right but it's like yeah. but it's like uh, it goes back to what we're saying about like uh, last week about like why do sports have to happen? Um, yeah, they don't. I to a certain extent they don't. And and like well, the is it, is it interesting is um, so here in BC we just got word in Vancouver Urban Rec is going to start up again, and so there's going to be an abbreviated soccer season of some kind. And the measures that they're taking are far more stringent than MLS is taking and there's been grumblings because they're playing like zonal soccer where like defenders have to stay in the defensive zone and attackers have to stay in an attacking zone and you have to shoot outside of the goalkeeper's box etc like there's all these things even then I feel like it's taking uh, a certain amount of risk just putting that number of people together um, but there's just sort of grumblings of people being like, well, it's not really soccer, is it? And it's like, no, it's not. But <laughs> you know what? Some people are trying to salvage a little bit of summer and say it would be nice for our own mental health to get out and kick a thing and just be a, sort of around people doing a thing because we love this sport. But we're all acknowledging that we're taking this risk because it doesn't have to happen. And if tomorrow they say, you know what? It's too big a risk. We're canceling it then that's fine. Now, granted, it's not professional sports, but I just think that to watch the the cavalier attitude and the lack of 
actual concern for player and staff safety is just so incredibly alarming um, that to even pick the venue that they did dismisses anything that MLS has to say about caring about the safety of the the players and the teams because the even if they're all on charter flights um they still got to get on a bus where are those drivers from are you telling me that they know exactly every single person that every bus drivers come into contact with the staff coming in and out of hotels like it's just it's not possible for them to control it in the way that they think it is and they chose a city purposely that had laxed regulations so that they could make this thing happen and not have a city or a province or a state come down at the last minute and say, you know what, you can't do this. So, I mean, to me, it's just like, I really would have loved to have seen some soccer and apparently something might happen, but at the point where you're a week out and now there's murmurs of rescheduling matches and things like that, it's just like, mates, just admit, now is not the time. (laughs) If you have, that's the thing, is like, what does it prove to have half of FC Dallas try to compete in this tournament? Who is it for? It's not going to be for the fans because, you know, all of the, not all the players they care about are going to be, some of them are going to be, you know, in, in some cases, like, you know, fighting illness. And like, it's not, it's not to, to, I don't know if it's to prove a point or what have you. It's not called MLS Cup. It's called MLS's back tournament. It's yeah. just, it could be like, like, like I don't understand what the, what the risk reward is. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it rhymes with honey. <laughs> um, and speak, speaking of, um, I saw today that Philadelphia Union's Corey Burke, arguably one of the most underrated strikers in MLS, and certainly an important piece for them, will not be taking place in the tournament because he's overseas and quarantined and can't get into the United States because nobody is allowed to travel to the United States because it's a dumpster fire of disease right now. So, again, it begs the question, so if your star players can't actually return to the country in which they play in because the pandemic is so bad, what 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 are you doing? Who are you playing this for? This is a long, this is kind of a lot, going to be a long-term issue because I, you know, I can't remember where, who tweeted this just before we went up, but uh, Megan Rapino said um, that, um there probably isn't going to be a U.S. Women's National Team game in the rest of the year because they're not going to be able to leave the country and nobody is going to accept that nobody is going to accept them coming in and nobody is going to go to the states to play them. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it seems as well. Carlos Vela is probably unlikely to play again. His his wife is quite pregnant and he's asked for grounds to to not take place. Uh, in the tournament because of that, which makes heaps of sense um, regardless of the global situation. Uh, I think I saw that Chicharito has said that he will play. But if you start to also have that number of players, your star players, even questioning whether or not it's safe to participate, to me that, even if they say yes, that implies the team is then putting pressure on them Um we're offering incentives for a player to put themselves at risk. And again, for what? To prove a point? Like, 
Do you know? Well, the the in 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 unrelated related news, I did spend uh, some time the other day uh, watching an MLS tournament where players did not put themselves at risk. Oh yeah. On Sunday, EMLS Cup. <laughs> there we go. This surefire certified safest way to play MLS right now, to play soccer, esports. Uh, it was really it was it was interesting. I watched the the, the stream on Twitch. Um, they had the the um, a tournament of, of players playing sort of FIFA 20's Ultimate Team mode. Uh, I found it really interesting. Um, that essentially there are players, I guess, that are in MLS Team of the Season lists, and so almost every team. It's, it, I guess in, in esports it's called the meta of, of of what is like accepted as you know there are all these options but there are a couple of players that are the best you know a lot of people using Andre Blake mm-hmm. in goal um, a lot of people using Ali Adnan is like one of the consensus favorite um, right backs uh, you had uh, Iko Para was very often scored or, or, or often played and you know how many it seemed like so many of the goals were scored by uh, Joseph Martinez and Alejandro Pozuelo were like the two were some of the most uh, the, some of the most prolific mm-hmm. um, it was really interesting to watch the tournament um, I felt that there were you know an, you know good Storylines that built up through the course of it. You had uh, New York George Adamu um, faced two players that had been um, that had had a lot of success in the past. Alexander for um, Sporting KC and Fiddle, who had won um, both of the I guess league series games this year and the MLS Cup last year, um, lost in those first two rounds. Um, and he the 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 fiddle one came all the way down onto penalty kicks after a uh, nil nil through regular time. I think that in, in the end, it's funny for me because one of the first you know EMLS products I ever took in was that tournament tournament special, mm-hmm. um, and the first game was New York City versus uh, Red Bulls, and both of their pros Adamu and, and Diddy Crisleto. Uh, met in the finals. It was very interesting. Um, it was very interesting to see the play styles. I was very uh, amused, I guess, to see um, the ways in which it mirrors real life mm. in some so. ways, real life football. Well, you had, uh, so Dulsta, who had been um, MLS Cup, EMLS Cup winner in the past for mm-hmm. Philadelphia, but had moved to Nashville. Had or had, had switched affiliations to Nashville. Um, had uh, the has been having some trouble, and I guess the the key thing that had caused Dulce to lose the first round to Phil B ninety four was of Toronto was a penalty that was called that he didn't think that the commentators were all standing around being like, "Well, should this?" Dulce thought it was a penalty. It was not a penalty that he didn't do anything. And just the, the discourse around that was really funny to me in terms of like the AI decided to give a penalty. I didn't press a button, which yeah. is so amusing to me that you have a video game where everything is, is set out by algorithm 
and you still have people bagging on the referee. It's it's, it's very well. Was it was it uh, Jai Marufo or? <laughs> and I also appreciated, you know, they had uh, Tommy was talking about that penalty shootout with with uh, with Fiddle, and he said, you know, I played five friend I played five friendly la- last night that all went to penalties, and I lost all five of them, and then he won that penalty shootout. Well, one of the things that I think of when it comes to penalties from the 12 Yards book that I've read is that, you know, people think you can't practice for them because the competitive situation in the, in the practice situation is too wildly different. Well, I think it's clear that if you do practice for it, regardless of whether or not you did well in practice, having prepared for that situation gives you, I think, something of an edge. As a goalkeeper, I can say you should definitely practice. <laughs> you, you really don't want your first time facing penalties to be in a game situation. <laughs> yes. So I when there's I, actual stakes. So I had I, I had a lot of fun. While, oh, the other thing is that uh, Atlanta United had signed a very uh, a very touted Brazilian uh, esports player who had. Uh, who impressed in in the uh, in the court in the in the quarterfinals, but was uh, was was unable to make it past the semis. Right. I think I need to like familiarize myself more with just like esports in general to to figure out EMLS because for me, and I knew it wasn't the case, but I was like, I think it, you should have to play with the actual roster of your team. Like that would make it way more interesting to see, like, what what can you do with Colorado's lineup? Um, but I, I mean, I, I obviously get that that's that's not quite how it works. Um, but I, I just think it's it's kind of interesting to see, like, um, I guess the equalizer is seeing what different people can do with more or less the same star players. Yes, or 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 even like 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 small adjustments. You know, like if if somebody makes a if somebody makes a, a change it's off of meta, you know what I mean? Like it's it's considered to be a, a bold strategy cotton. Right. Yeah, and I mean let's face it, like a lot of us learn a lot of what we know about soccer from the FIFA franchise. Um and and learning being able to actually really see and control things like your lines and positioning. So like it makes sense that it mimics things in in real life. In it also terms of like actual results and things that change games. It also amused me. So you know, uh, esports is usually played is actually usually played in, per, in person. They do do these as, as events. Um, the the EMLS tournaments are usually events that are played in front of crowds. Um, and so they still had that same debate about like you know such and such a person plays differently online than they do in front of a crowd. Such and such a person really benefits from having the crowd. So you couldn't just escape they from having in that fake, discussion. Are they piping in fake audience noise into each other's houses for this? <laughs> Bundesliga? Or how does that... No, they have. there's no fake crowd noise. But I do appreciate that like they were calling out the, the Toronto guy uh, for, for having... Uh, for like bed status, like I don't know if his bed was not made before. Like I wasn't really paying attention, but they're like, like just imagine these are these are professionals. They're being paid to perform, and you're called up on television, and the commentator decides to roast you to say like, 
Toronto FC's Phil B94, who has made his bed. <laughs> like, come on, protect your protect your stars here. <laughs> oh my goodness. A couple of uh, other things happening in MLS, just quick storylines with with no real uh, major talking points. I saw um, Sam Nicholson, the Colorado Rapids, has had his contract mutually terminated. No reason given. I always thought he gave a lot for that team, but he is out. Um, and Darren Maddox apparently has just gone missing. He is no longer on the FC Cincinnati website. He is not in Orlando, has not traveled with the team. I didn't even know this, but apparently there was a major legal case against him in February about uh, for felony charges of um, insurance fraud. But hmm. I can't find any information about, A, where he is in space and time. He is seemingly not a part of FC Cincinnati anymore, but also seems to not be a part of any other team. But any outside source as... I mean, not that he's necessarily a star player, but just simply says he plays for FC Cincinnati, which FC Cincinnati seems to not acknowledge. So, we'll wait. Wild. I I I hope that he's okay. And it's yeah, like Darren. <laughs> can you just think let us that you're okay? <laughs> you'd think that he, if he was fired for being for whatever is going on in the court case, that they would be transparent about that. So. It must not be? Question mark, question mark, question mark? Like Maybe. It, sometimes I think it's a case where if, like, there's a loan deal that's maybe being worked out, you would think about that. But, I, I mean, it's just so weird to have... He's been there up until recently, and it's only recently that people have been like, where's Darren Maddox? And it's just radio silence. So, like, that to me... I can't think of many instances where... A club just says nothing, but just like erases a player. Hmm, it's a lot to. I, I, I we will have to keep our eyes open for Darren I mean, Maddox. If he's you been see anonymous him, on the pitch before, but this is next level. If maybe he's out of country, like Corey Bent, and they just can't get him in, or or he won't, won't you know? Call I mean, yeah, something. it's entire entirely possible if he went to visit family, he just he can't get back in. But again, you'd think you'd be like, oh, that's where he is, but. No word. Well, if you see Dermatics, let us know. Um, the as per, as for this tournament, I know so much of what we've talked about has not in any way been like analysis of what's going to happen on the field. Partially because it's so <laughs> it probably it probably won't happen, and also like you know, and this was the same for the NWSL tournament is that you don't even know what's going to happen until. Um, until rosters are released, right? And and one of the things that are a part of that is that uh, we're going to have a, a two-day transfer window on July 6th and 7th that will Weird. allow for limited activity and only for teams to round out their roster. For example, okay. trades among MLS teams will not be permitted during this window. So from MLS to MLS club? Which you'd think would be the best possible That's what you want, isn't it? Because if you transfer, where are you going to get players from? Like, yeah, we're transferring a player. He should be here in uh, 2023 vaccine pending. Like, no players. Okay, hear me out, though. So FC Dallas is down to apparently roughly 16 players, and they they obviously need to round out their roster. Um, And they can't presumably bring in players from other MLS teams. 
Well, neither you or I play for any MLS. <laughs> we gotta so call him. I'm, we gotta can, call him. Is there like a submit button, or how does this whole whole thing work out? International transfers are only permitted if the acquired player has his work authorization in the USA or Canada. It is already located within the USA or Canada, as he is, or he is able to travel without oh, restrictions. Yes. Neither you or I could get in anyway. So. Oh no. Hmm. Well. See, this is the thing: is that if you, I think that if you, if you came into the tournament with thirty players or twenty-three players or however many you came with, and FC Dallas is trying to decide whether or not they're going to try and do this thing with sixteen, they should be able to, you know. They should be able to spread the wealth around, I feel. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I mean, again, you get to a point like this where you're splitting hairs over the most ridiculous things where you go, I have an idea. Maybe let's wait for the sports thing for a while and focus on, <laughs> I don't know, people staying alive. Just a, just a thought. Well, but technically, if we just had 16 players and literally it's going to come down to it, it's going to be actual bubble soccer. Everyone's just going to be in their big hazmat suit, bumping into each other, which I'd legitimately you know, pay to see. But you know, I when you were describing to me your idea of the 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 urban rec idea of zonal soccer, I don't hate that. I don't. I I I want. I I kind of. There's a part of me that wanted to see what that would look like with professionals. Yeah, I mean, I'm admittedly a little in the dark of how it will actually work, but um, having gone horse many a time shouting at a defender to get back and <laughs> defend i'm sort of looking forward to it <laughs> it's like a stay it's like a it's like a uh, a stay-at-home order defender yeah exactly shelter in place good sir <laughs> oh, i will not no. have you wandering up for anything oh goodness um, well, in the meantime, soccer may happen. Soccer may not happen. We got NWSL continuing on as far as we know. Uh, where can we find you in the meantime? You can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. Where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can find this podcast at MLS. Uh, that's so MLS.com. It's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> I know where our podcast is. It's also available on Apple Podcasts and wherever fine podcasts are found. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, Don't get sent off for running a very funny Twitter account uh, that unfortunately brings the league into disrepute. 